Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Life's a Drag Live. We are live. Jason Galvin, what up? We're doing it live. We'll write it. We'll do it live. Do it live, I say. We'll do it live. Hi, Jason Galvin, seriously, when you, used to, like, when you used to do live TV, did you guys have yeah. like stressful moments like that? We'll just do it live. <laughs> we'll do it live. Stressful moments and live TV, no. <laughs> did, you, did you ever swear on uh, live TV? Never. I somehow, somehow, and 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 you know me, I enjoy a, a negative word or two. Sure. Um, I somehow never actually swore on air. It was uh, it was kind of a miracle, like one well, of you, life's great mysteries. Right. <laughs> Apparently, I uh, the mic was open at the races someplace earlier this year, and it picked me up saying a choice word, and uh, Alan Reinhardt oh. goes, "We heard you." And I'm like, oh, you did? Cool. Sorry. <laughs> like, Oops, sorry. Whatever. Whatever, yeah. Alan. Yeah. Like, Fire me. As, yeah, as long as Alan's the only one that heard it. And uh, and our boss, he's got like 9,000 uh, voices in his head. So I'm sure that kind of slipped through the cracks there. But oh yeah, apparently I have I have done it. I have done it today. So, uh, hey, man, we're going to Topeka this week. Topeka. Are you excited? Tell me how excited you are. I mean, I've never been to Topeka, so in Ooh. that regard, I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. We are. Look, so we've got three tracks left that we currently race on to scratch right. off my list. Topeka, yep. Brainerd, which I've been to Brainerd for NASCAR. You and I have had this conversation. Yes. Uh, when I was in college, I did a lot of stuff with NASCAR. And uh, there was a time where I was one of the, the couple people who were lucky enough to travel with the the what was then the KN West series. It's now the Arkham and Art Series West. Um, and they decided to go to Brainerd one year, which didn't make a lot of sense to me logistically. Like the West Series, the, the furthest east the West Series got was Colorado. And one year they were like, guys, let's go to Brainerd, Minnesota. And I was yeah, like, let's go there. You know, the, you know, the East Series goes to Iowa and that's farther west than this. Send the East Series up. But anyways, so we went on um, uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, the first year and um, it was a Saturday race. I flew into Minneapolis on Saturday morning. Got in a rental car with two other people who were producing and co-anchoring the radio broadcast with me. Drove up to Brainerd. It rained most of the day. We somehow got the race in. Michael self-dominated and won. And um, and then we drove back to Minneapolis that night. Went oh. to bed at like 2 a.m. Got up at 4 a.m. Got on a plane at 5 a.m. And was back in Phoenix in time to see the green flag for the Indy 500. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that's, and that's like my. The that's my Brainerd experience. So. Brainerd is definitely the farthest drive I think we have from, from the airport. From yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then uh, the third track on my list is da I've actually never been to Dallas. I've been mm. to the city of Dallas several times. Um, my family is very, very close with Billy Meyer. They go to the Motorplex all the time, but I've never actually made the trip because that time of year historically has lined up with, uh, you know, silly things like college um, sure. or 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 work. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. but but now i get to go for work so it's great so anyways we're yeah. gonna we're gonna check two races off here in the next two weeks so. beautiful well very good well we're yeah. excited uh i mean i'm kind of excited to get out of my house i gotta do laundry tomorrow uh my wife my... i'm excited to get out of my house <laughs> i had a lunch appointment earlier today hustled home to get back for this i gotta take my mom out i don't have to I don't have to do it. I'm I'm going to take yes, my mom do. out for her for her yes, uh, anniversary. Uh, my dad passed away in October, so she's feeling yeah. she's feeling it right now. So she needs her baby boy to take her out to dinner. So we're we're gonna have a little family uh, dinner tonight. So uh, 
So yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Nah, nah, nah. I gotta have a good time. Then you gotta do laundry and then getting on a plane to Kansas City and then driving to beautiful Topeka. We get to pass Topeka. We get to pass Lawrence, Kansas, which is kind of cool. You can see the college. Oh, your home of Rock side. Shock. I didn't realize that. Rock Shock, baby. Home of Rock Shock. That's exciting. Yeah. That's so, exciting. Uh, so it doesn't look like it's going to be unbelievably crazy hot. But uh, let's uh, let's get in with our guest because you and I both yes. have commitments today. Yes. Let's, yes. Let's we have a in. guest. Yep. Jason, Very excited here. Feel free to yes. Yes. Because um, when I started kind of forging my way into the world of drag racing, um, this guy who has been a lifelong family friend of ours was one of the first people to really kind of grab me, put his arm around me and say, if you need anything, I'm here, you know, and um, and, you know, knew that I kind of wanted to forge my own way and do my own thing. And even though I had family support and he's been lifelong friends with my uncle, um, was always supportive of, of me kind of making my own way. So welcoming in to Life's a Drag. My very good friend, our very good friend, and one of the coolest people at the drag strip, the crew chief for Clay Milliken's Parts Plus Summit, Rick Ware Racing Ford, two-time winner this year, Jim Oberhofer in the house. <laughs> what up, Jimmo? What's going on? God, that How was you a doing? long intro, Jason Galvin. Jim Dude, I love Jimmo. Like that, that, though? Yeah, I, I, I've known Jason for a long time. It's like... <laughs> And now he's like announcing races and all this cool stuff. I'm like, man. <laughs> yeah, you're probably like, you're you're probably like I, I knew him when. You know, it was like snot coming out of his nose. You <laughs> he know, did. He used to yell at me. Get out of my pit. Don't yeah, touch like, the race car. <laughs> yeah, not that wrench, that wrench. Give me that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the, one, the one year I got to work on Shirley's car, Jim would grab me and go, hey, hey, when you get back to the pit, do these three things, and they'd be the three things he knew would piss Tobler off. So, <laughs> yeah, 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 we want to piss Tobler off. That's a good, that's a great idea. <laughs> that's awesome. So, everybody out there uh, in the world knows Jimmo, but um, Jimmo, how long have you been doing this? I mean, you've been with multiple teams, you've been, I mean, you, your family is synonymous with drag racing, like the Galvins. How long have you been crew chiefing and or just around the sport of drag racing? Well, pretty much since my. I was able to go to the races with my dad. Um, you know, he had uh, uh, junior fuel cars, and and then uh, they switched over to uh, top fuel cars in the early '70s. So whenever I was to go, um, he would he would drag me along and my brother Jono along, and and uh, we'd go to the races. And uh, there's there's lots of pictures of us at the racetrack when we were little. And uh, probably my first recollection of like actually remembering being at the race. This was probably, I would say, early 70s, you know, probably either uh, Maple Grove Raceway or, or um, you know, um, maybe Island Dragway in New York. Just uh, we weren't, growing up in New Jersey, um, my dad couldn't take us to the races because they had this stupid law there that you had to be 17 years old, 17 years old or older to be in the pits. So the only time we got to see my dad race in uh, New Jersey with, with their car, um, my poor mom would have to take my brother and sister and I and sit in the grandstands, the spectator grandstands all day to wait to see uh, uh, dad's top fuel car run. And um, yeah, it was probably a little much for mom to, to take care of it, but mom was awesome. She always did those, uh, did those cool things for us back then. But that was, uh, you know, 
back then growing up around it, it was great. And then um, uh, my family, my mom and dad decided to move to Plano, Texas, just north of Dallas. And um, kind of um, my dad would still go to the races and stuff, but we didn't go uh, quite so much anymore. And then um, when I was in high school, you know, I really started like looking at drag racing again because, you know, I started driving cars, you know, we were able to get a driver's license down here when I was 15 back then. And um, so, of course, the urge to go fast was always, you know, always there and wanted to do it with my own cars. But uh, yeah, my dad, he worked at Chaparral Trailers. He painted trailers. He painted um, cars for the Raymond Beetle for the Blue Max. And then he opened up his own shop. So we were really like right next door to Chaparral Trailers. And then down the street was the Blue Max shop. And that was like really, really cool, um, you know, being able to be around all of that. So um, my dad had a gentleman, Morris McDonald, that worked for um, Frank Cook and Chuck Landers on their alcohol funny car. It was a drag on charger back then. And um, so I started uh, going over to their shop at night and um, uh, scraping the rubber out from underneath the body, polishing wheels. And, and I was hooked, you know, shortly after I was helping Jay Meyer on his alcohol dragster. And, and um, during that time, I had met Scott Coletta. Uh, my dad had um, uh, painted some trailers for, for Connie Coletta, the old Chaparral fifth wheel trailers. And, um, you know, so Scott was always in town, you know, one way or another, because it seemed like Dallas is where everybody came to back then. And, um, you know, struck up a friendship with Scott. And then I started bugging him about wanting to work on his car. And uh, in the early um, beginning of the 1988 season, Scott called me up, says, you ready to go to work? And uh, so I said, absolutely. And uh, went to work, had a, a great career at Coletta Motorsports for uh, 31 years I was there. Absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, and then, you know, after uh, uh, the, towards the end of the 2018 season, um, wasn't sure that I really wanted to go racing again, but, you know, got a call from my friend, uh, Paul Lee and Doug, uh, Doug Stringer and, and um, you know, helped, uh, helped out uh, Doug Stringer with Clay Milliken's car and, um, you know, and as kind of a consultant and then put together Paul Lee's funny car and uh, just had a great time. And then last year, early last year, you know, Doug wanted me to take over running Clay's car. And, and I, and I kind of wanted to go back full-time racing. I said uh, the year before I was kind of jealous of all my my crew chief friends that were in the countdown and competing for a championship and I said you know I think I could still do that and um so luckily for me Doug gave me a call and and I jumped on it and then um and then Rick Ware bought the team and that's been been awesome he's a he's like a, a little kid that just loves racing <laughs> and uh, just a great guy and Clay of course I you can't say enough about that guy he's just a fantastic person I love working with him. Has he ever I, had um, a bad day? By the way, has Clay ever had a bad day? Yeah, but one. Okay, you know, we, all, we, we know what Back that's in the about. 80s. Well, no, yeah, no, he lost his son, but yeah, yeah, no, I yeah when that. he lost his son, that was that was tough. Um, and um, you, you know, it's like I told my brother earlier in the year, and you know, it was after you know 
force ran into JR and then they blow it up first round and then they go to Vegas and DNQ. And he told me that, you know, they had a bad, bad couple, you know, couple races, a bad weekend of racing. I said, no, I said, we've never had a, a bad, we've only had one bad day of drag racing that I feel that uh, my brother and I've had, and that's when we lost Scott. Sure. And um, I said, I, every other day would be, you know, considered a great day of racing. And like I told him, I said, I would gladly um, DNQ for the rest of my life if Scott could be back here with us today. Not necessarily for me, but for his dad, for his wife and kids. That's, that's, um, I, I'd give anything to have him back. So sure. yeah, that's the only bad day we've had. Clay, um, you and Clay obviously share, I, I think, a, a lot more than people realize because you both kind of experienced that tremendous sense of loss well before you would have expected, obviously, with Clay losing his son at such a young age and, and then you losing Tammy, your wife, uh, to cancer. Um, has that? Do you think that that's helped you guys kind of in, in your relationship and, and your ability to just kind of be open about things and honest with each other on stuff? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I remember, um, after my wife passed away, uh, we, um, we got a, a, a plant from, uh, from Clay and Donna and it was, it was really cool. And we actually planted that and, um, you know, at my, my old house and, uh, the people that live in there now probably don't know the meaning of that plant, but I thought it was, it was really cool because, you know, you get a lot of things, you know, flowers and they don't, always last long but those this plant was going to last you know hopefully a, a lifetime and um you know and then when uh, when clay lost his son uh it was pretty pretty devastating you know for for him and and for donna and and um you know all of a sudden we kind of shared something it's just like doug herbert um you know he uh you know losing his two boys and you know, we all know about the, the big old starting line thing at, at Reading years ago. And, and that kind of brought Clay and Doug together. And, um, you know, I think when I came to work with Clay, I always liked Clay. Always liked him. Just thought he was a fantastic guy and a fantastic driver and, and all that. And um, But when I got to work with him and then got to know him more on a personal level, it was like, man, it was really cool. And it's really special. And I think we both appreciate every day, um, no matter what it is, especially at the racetrack. I know Clay, he loves driving that race car and, and he loves interacting with fans and he's just a fantastic guy. And I think we look at every day that we're at the racetrack is like, it doesn't get any better than this. And there's nothing that's gonna, you know, tell us that um, we shouldn't be here or we shouldn't have fun being here. And yeah, we're, we're both very competitive, obviously, but, I think we really, really enjoy working with each other just because of that. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really cool relationship. And, um, and, and Donna, his wife is just fantastic. And she's just an amazing lady and just so much fun with them too. And they're such good people. Like just, and I hate to say they're like simple people, but really they are simple people from down in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that, he he see when I say he never has a bad day, it's like the guy is constantly smiling, he's constantly shaking hands, he's constantly putting off the great vibes out there at the track, and uh, he's definitely. I mean, uh, when he won his first race, what was that in, in Bristol a couple years ago? I mean, the place just. I mean, everyone, you couldn't say another day. Yeah, on Father's on Day, Father's yeah. Day, unbelievable cool. story, and that was what I mean. And you were just like, "Good for this freaking guy!" You know, he's won on every other level, and then to finally win out there, and uh, it was just, it, it just, he's just, he's got such a magnetic personality, and it's so, it's, it's oh, fun yeah. to, uh, it's fun. Oh, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah and I mean, what about the differences working with uh, Clay and then working with Connie? I mean, Connie was that guy back in the day. I mean, I, I. I I'll never forget Connie uh, and Doug stopping their car in Pomona at me you know, as we're walking out. This is back when I was doing Team Mellow Yellow, and Connie saw me. Uh, I was interviewing a fan, and I hit the fan in the face with a microphone, and I did it repeatedly every time. I was like, "Hey, what's your name?" And I hit him in the face. And they're like, and it got to the point where they just stopped my hand after the fourth time. And Connie stopped the car, and Doug <laughs> Doug opened the window, and Connie goes, that was the funniest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Connie Kalina, yes, thank you for noticing me. But that I mean, that, that guy was just fun, too. What are, what are the big differences working with the Clips? I mean, you were there for 30-something years and just getting started with, uh, with you know, Clay. What's the, I mean, there's got to be some fundamental differences, right? Oh, yeah, there are. And, and, and you know, whether it was Connie, Scott, or Doug, they're just fantastic people. And, and um, you know, Scott was like a big brother to me. He, he, he was, <laughs> he was something. And, you know, and our, our, our good friends, you know, like Nikki Bonifani or my brother, you know, some of the characters from the, the, the past that worked at Colette is, I mean, we truly enjoyed Scott because he was, um, he had this really rough exterior and, and wanted to uh, portray as, you know, he was a badass and all this stuff, which he was. Um, but um, deep down, he had a big heart. And, uh, and Connie's very much the same way. Connie is just an um, uh, amazing person. And, you know, he kind of, um, when, you th when you look at how successful he is just in, in everything, that he's he's done you know whether it's his uh, air cargo business or his racing um you know it's it's he's put a lot of work into it and um i don't know that there's that many people left in the world who would work as hard as connie coletta did you know to achieve what he's achieved you know uh, professionally in life with business and and with um uh, his racing program and um you know it was a shame when we lost scott because you really started to see that relationship between Scott and Connie blossom. Um, you know, Scott was very uh, protective of his dad. He'd give his dad a hard time and, and vice versa. But he knew deep down that they loved each other very much, even if they never like showed it so much or like, or told each other um, just good people. And then, and then Doug, he is awesome. Like he's so he's like a, that professor, you know, wears his glasses and, you know, he's very, very unassuming that this guy can get in a race car and just be an awesome driver. Doesn't have much to say, but just a, the, the one thing about all three of them is they have big hearts and, and that makes them really amazing people in my book. And, you know, I always, I tell people, um, 
when they asked me about the differences between Clay and Doug or Scott, I said, um, you know, Clay just talks a lot more than, than both of those guys. And, uh, but he's equally as talented. And um, that's, what's really cool is that, you know, I, I've been pretty blessed to work with some uh, great drivers, you know, over the years and, and definitely Clay and Doug and Scott are like the, the top of the list of just how, how awesome they are, you know, both on and off the track. D- Doug, uh, I, I feel like it's something that we could do a better job of in general, but Doug, I mean, Doug was a world champion sprint car driver. Like that's when we all sit here and celebrate Tony Stewart and Kyle Larson and Jeff Gordon, like the things they did. And uh, Doug Coletta was that good. Like at a time before he went drag racing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tony Stewart would tell you that, you know, because I, yeah. I know on the USAC sprint car stuff, I think it was the midgets. I think uh, one year Dougie won the championship and Tony Stewart finished second. And the next year, Tony Stewart won it and Dougie finished second. So, like, so, you know, they definitely competitive on the racetrack. And, and to say you, you beat Tony Stewart on, <laughs> yeah. on, a, on a sprint car track, that's saying something because Tony Stewart – is probably when you look at it, um, probably one of the best like drivers ever. Like, period. You can oh, put yeah. that guy in anything, and he could drive it. And um, he's uh, he's that talented. And and for Dougie, I think it's it's kind of the same way. I always wish Dougie would have got a shot more at uh, some of the um, um, you know whether it was NASCAR or, or open wheel stuff and. I know Connie tried to get him some deals in there and it didn't, didn't pan out um, the way that they had all hoped, but you know, Dougie's awesome, man. He's just a great driver. And, and uh, Scott was pretty talented too, doing a lot of different things. A lot of people didn't know that, you know, he went to Bob, uh, Bob Bonder on school way back when, and you know, he's pretty good, pretty good drivers in his own right. Dougie strikes me as the type of guy who, if he would have ever gotten like an Indy 500 ride, like he's so like methodical and analytical and like obviously with the stuff he does flying airplanes and driving that car, he strikes me as the type of guy that like that race would have been perfect for him because you give him 500 miles, you give him three and a half hours to sit there and think about like, how do we make it a little better here? How do we that like, you know, it's, it's, it's like the exact opposite of the drag racing world where you just get in and smash the gas and react and, and go like he, he would have had that time where I could have totally seen like, like Dougie, like, like in like a Scott Dixon sense, right? Where you're like, oh, like 100 laps into the Indy 500, he's in 15th place, and with 30 to go, he's in third, charging through the field. And you're like, where the hell did this guy come from? Scott oh, Dixon's yeah. won a bunch of races and championships doing that. Dougie totally strikes me as like that same personality. Like everybody thinks oh, he's yeah. just like quiet, but like he's always thinking, right? Like that guy's always thinking. He's a, he pays attention to things, and you, and you wouldn't think so. And I remember way back uh, when I first started working there, uh, Connie had bought his um, uh, a Mike Case uh, top fuel dragster, which that was the hot ticket back then. Um, I think uh, Bernstein had one of those cars. Uh, Daryl Gwynn had one. Mike Case, he was out of Oil, Oil City, Pennsylvania. And um, so when you got these chassis, they had nothing on it. So there was no bracketry or tabs for the body. So we, um, uh, they, uh, Connie flew in. Um, Brad Hadman back then, and Brad had just started his uh, chassis business back then. So Brad and, and uh, one of his guys named Stoney, he came in and they they put body on the car, um, did all this stuff. But 
we remember because Dougie was, he had back when I first started there, Dougie um, was working in one of the engine shops building engines. I think it was for like the turbine beach planes that Connie had back then. And um, he had his toolbox out there. And so Dougie, you know, not everybody knows Dougie's like a, like a world-class welder. And um, so Dougie was helping, you know, with things, getting some stuff done, but his toolbox was, was there. And um, so we were kind of working out of his toolbox a little bit. So at night, uh, one of the guys that worked on um, uh, Connie's car, Greg Hessler, he pulls out this notebook and he, he goes, man, check this out. And Dougie had been taking notes of Connie's race car. Cause back then Dougie did the bottom end on Connie's top fuel car. And um, Dougie would take notes on everything that the car did on the run. And then what Connie would do for the next run. So like whatever changes. And this was all stuff that Dougie would, you know, whether he heard it from Connie or he knew that this is what the changes that were being made for the next run. And he just like kept notes of all this stuff. And, and um, he's, Dougie switched on, man, I tell you. And that's why he's, he is what he is. And, you know, he's, you know, been through every part of the airplane business and, and Connie like had him building engines, had him in sales, had him doing all these different things. And to where now Dougie has his own very successful business with, with Coletta Charters. And uh, yeah, you don't get that by not paying attention to, to details. Absolutely <laughs> detail oriented. Let me ask you this way. This is probably going to be a dumb question from a dumb person. We were talking about how talented uh, these drivers are. What makes a talented driver? I mean, I, I look at Jason Galvin, and he tells me how talented he is, but I haven't seen him win a race. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very upset with him, and I, I think he needs to start doing better, and I'm hopefully Indy he will do something better. But, I mean, is it just something you're born with? Is it something, like you say, Doug is, like, taking notes? And just What makes a talented driver? Because we see these drivers, and for me, I just think it takes guts to get in one and just hit this and stomp on the loud pedal, like Clay says. But we know there's more to it. What makes a good driver a talented one? I, I would say, you know, obviously you have to have a be born with it a little bit, you know, especially you drive a funny car or a top fuel car. <clears throat> but um, I think um, a, a lot of it is is the willingness to it, it accept criticism or constructive criticism or you know acknowledge um that uh they made a mistake and i think that's one of the things like clay and i we have this relationship like if the car smokes the tires or doesn't run as good i mean i'm the first one to say man i, I messed up and um you know i didn't do a good job here didn't do a good job there clay like if he you know um doesn't cut a good light or, you know, a good example was at Seattle. Um, he red lit in the semifinals and within minutes, he, we have a group text between, you know, Clay and myself and Rick Ware and Robbie Benton, the president of Rick Ware Racing. And he was on the phone right away. He says, man, guys, I screwed up. It was just time to go. And he doesn't make excuses, you know, like when, if, if he doesn't have a, a good light or, or, you know, has a, has a red light, you know, he, he doesn't make excuses. He just says, Hey, I messed up, you know, and time to move on. And I'm kind of the same way, you know, when the car goes out and smokes tires, um, 
you know, I said, man, I was pushing it too hard. And we had a lot of that earlier in the year. And um, Clay was always, you know, like, hey, we're going to get it the next time. We're always going to get it the next time. So we have each other's backs. And sure. I think when you, you know, have a driver that maybe um, doesn't want to admit they made a mistake or try to push, you know, like whatever they did, whether it was a red light or, you know, losing on a whole shot, whatever. I mean, if they try to like start blaming it on other people, they're not looking at themselves. Um, you know, that's, that's, that, that makes it tough. But I mean, fortunately for me, I've been around some, some great, you know, drivers. I've been able to work with some great drivers over the years and, and, um, you know, haven't had to experience that a whole lot, but I think it's, yeah, you're born with a little bit. You just have natural talent, but at the same time, you've got to be able to um, be accountable for what you do out on the racetrack. If you sure. if you make a mistake, just be accountable about it and move on. And because, you know, one of the things I learned years and years ago when I went to Rick Hendrick's shop, uh, Jeff Gordon's shop in particular, um, big sign there that said team. And it said, and team stood for together, everyone achieves more. And, and I believe that in drag racing from head to toe, like it's, it's not just about me. It's not just about Clay Milliken, you know, it's, it's about our entire team, you know, it includes Rick Ware, Robbie Benton and the girls that work in the office and the, the crew that works on the, on the team. Like when we're in sync, we're going to do well. And, um, you know, when we're, if we're not in sync, then we're not going to do well. So, you know, us as crew chiefs, we also have have to listen to, you know, the driver if they're like, man, this thing's like going right or it's going left or it's, or, it's, or I'm having trouble with this. And you, we have to be uh, able to listen to that and accept that um, and try to look into it. Uh, Clay is great. He's, he has what he calls his, his butt-o-meter. Right. And uh, he'll come back <laughs> You go, my butto meter says this. I'll tell you what, he's he's right 90% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he knows, like, the guy is so switched on, he really knows what's going on. And, um, yeah, I, I joked with him. I said, man, when you quit driving, you should just become a crew chief, too. <laughs> oh, no, man. He says, I'm just, I'm just the driver, man. I sign autographs and talk to people. But he's really switched on, and the feedback he gives me is, is awesome. And, um, you know, and that's what you need. Like I need to become a better crew chief. You have, you know, sure. feedback like that. It always, always makes things a lot better. I feel like Clay's going to be a great team manager one day, right? Like he's going to stop driving and then like somebody like Justin Ashley is going to hire him and just be like, here, handle all the business stuff for me. So I can go from cutting 35 lights to 15 lights. And, uh, and Clay's just going to be like, all right, I got this. And like three weeks later, there's going to be like 40 new sponsors and, Clay is going to be the mayor of the pit area and the president of pro and like whatever else he wants to be. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise yeah. me at all. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I want to, there was something you said, Jimmo, that I, I, I kind of wanted to go back and touch on. Cause I, I don't know if, um, if enough people remember this um, or, or realize it, but you talked about when we lost Scott and how he was just kind of coming into his own in his relationship with Connie. And um, you know, I remember obviously growing up, you know, Scott and, and it was the rough and gruff Scott, right. It was the world champion, Scott. It was, you know, backflips at Gainesville or, uh, you know, and, and that was Scott Coletta. 
Um, but he was just this like hard guy. Um, and then I was a little kid and then I, I was kind of fortunate um, enough to, you know, when he came back after taking those years off, I, I was, you know, growing up, I was in my teens, late teens, uh, you know, had, had worked a little bit thanks to, you know, some of you guys on, on Shirley's car that last year. So I got to know Ron and, and you guys better. And, and Ron went over obviously to, to start working with you guys after, after Shirley retired and, and you guys had the multi-car team and Scott to me was like a totally different person that second time around. Like it, it just seemed like he was enjoying it more. Like it, it was more fun to him. Uh, I don't know if like enough people remember that um, or fans on the outside because they probably just saw Scott Coletta and like that's the fans gravitated back to Scott Coletta, like the, you know, Connie's kid, you know, I'm going to knock you out if I don't like what you say and, you know, drink Coors Light and have my Swisher Sweet. And that's Scott Coletta, right? And um, he was like, I, you know, I don't know if that was the combination of, you know, kids growing up and him getting to kind of race with family um, or what that was. But he, he was he was a totally different guy when he came back. Yeah, he, um, he well, I mean, when you're the son of Connie Coletta, <laughs> that, that's that's tough it is, and it's all right because um uh you know connie was obviously a, a tough guy you know and he didn't take crap from anybody i, I think like like connie and ed, ed ace mccullough were probably the the two biggest badasses in drag racing off the track <laughs> and um you know so uh when, you, when you're kind of like growing up and you're the son of of, of a guy like Connie Coletta and, and Scott, you know, he, he loved his dad. He idolized his dad, you know, for everything that, uh, that he was. And um, I think what changed for Scott is, is he, he started a family and um, you know, that was big for him. Mary and Kathy, I remember when they first met and, um, and then uh you know, then uh, Corey comes along and then Colin comes along and, I, and, and Scott was really proud to be a dad. He, he was a very, very proud dad. And um, we all look at things like, you know, as, as we're kids growing up that like, well, I'm going to do this better. Um, and Connie, you know, back then, I mean, he was a, a guy who traveled around the country racing and um, absolutely um, that's what he did to support, his family and he was gone all the time, you know, doing that. And then, you know, later in life, you know, he was very fortunate and started flying and he started his business and things like that. So Connie was a guy that was always on the go and Scott, he was pretty family focused, you know, doing things with his wife and kids and, and stuff like that. So I think when he came back that, that uh, last time, cause I knew, when he retired from racing back in um, it was after the 97 season. And that's when Doug got in and started driving. Um, Scott acted like he didn't miss it. Um, but for him, it was, he spent time with his, with his wife and kids. And, and then, then the racing bug got back to him. And I think Connie really wanted Scott back out there too, because Scott loved, you know, Connie loved racing with his son and his nephew. He thought that would be the greatest thing ever. And, um, you know, when we were able to do that, I think, you know, as we get older, we, we, um, uh, realize things more and we're not so quick to react on things. And, and I think Scott looked at it as a, 
an opportunity to spend time with, you know, with his dad and, and spend time with, with his cousin, Dougie and, and, um, and to be out there, it was like two things that he loved, you know, was, was drag racing and, and his family. And, um, you know, and then when he was able to like bring, you know, either, you know, either one of his sons to the races with him or both of them, that was a big thing for him. And Scott, he mellowed out a, a lot as he, as he got older, as we all do. And, uh, you know, and I always felt like Scott and I, we had a really good relationship because, you know, my dad was, um, uh, not tough on me, but he was, um, you know, both my dad and my mom, they, they raised me a good way and, uh, they didn't, um, you know, we always had that fear of like, okay, man, we don't want to screw up cause we don't want Davo, you know, whooping our butt or something tomorrow. And so, <laughs> you know, my dad, same way with his shop, he dragged me into the shop, whether I wanted to go or not. And so we kind of had a good relationship because, you know, we had um, both our dads were tough and um, and that made it uh, uh, made us have a real good relationship. And, and it was funny because when I first went to work for Connie, everybody's like, oh, man, he's he's hard to work for. I'm like, man, he's like my dad. <laughs> you know, like he's, he's like, I don't <laughs> see what the big problem is here. Um, you know, but, uh, you know later in life i think both connie and scott you know they mellowed out with age and then they really started appreciating that time that they had with each other and um you know especially connie he was a, a proud grandpa too you know having um you know two grandkids you know with uh Corey and colin um i think you know connie was absolutely proud of that and and scott was proud of it scott was proud to be be a dad he's just it was it was neat and he kind of seen this uh transformation because like when i came to work for scott i was 21 years old and, and scott was uh, like 25 and we were no different than any other 21 and 25 year olds out there we wanted to have fun in life and uh we wanted to work hard we wanted to play hard and and uh it was a good time it was it was an awesome time sometimes like during that time you're like man what did i get myself into and, uh, but, um, uh, when I look back at some of that stuff, it was a blast. I mean, an absolute blast, like some of the crazy things that we would do, <laughs> you know, that you're like, wow, did we really do that? And like, and in these days you definitely couldn't get away with any of that stuff anymore, <laughs> especially with cell phones and social media, we'd, we'd all be in trouble. Well, it, it's funny. The, the cool thing about the Kalinic team and you guys, it was a family, you know, talking about Connie love racing with his son and Doug, his nephew. But then you grow up, you're 21 years old, you get married, you have a daughter and all of a sudden your daughter's at the track. I mean, Ashley, a a o, dude, by the way, the, the O thing is my favorite thing. Jim O, John O, a o everybody. That was the best part. Dave about o. It, you know? Dave yeah. o, they're all. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's the cool part. Cause 21 years old, you, 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 you go through your 20s and you probably, you know, I don't know exactly when you got married, but you get married, but then your whole family's now part of that whole group. group and it was cool to kind of see you just for me being on the outside. And I got to hang out with you guys. Uh, Tommy DeLago says that uh, Scott was the man, period. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. I, got, I got to go to, I got to DJ Tommy and Rachel's wedding and I got to go to Mexico and hang out with all you guys. And it was just, you guys just let me in like, hey, this is this freaking idiot. And the best thing from that whole wedding was chad head 
being, you know, Chad Head the entire weekend, and I'm introducing Chad Head. This is the best line ever. Chad Head. I mean, it's all the Kalita guys. They all. I mean, I'm I might not be on a first name basis with everybody, but Chad Head goes as I'm going. Now it's time for the maid of honor speech. Chad Head goes. It's the mellow yellow guy. <laughs> like I've been there for a weekend. And he ju- and I'd seen him 19 times saying, hi, how's it going? It was just funny. But uh, I mean, that was the, that's the cool part about that whole clinic thing. I mean, you talk about having your whole family be involved in growing up in that. I mean, that had to be a pretty cool experience. Oh, it was awesome. You know, I met my wife, you know, Tammy, um, working at Coletta Motorsports and, and um, uh, I'll never forget. It was, it was pretty funny because Scott and Kathy had, had gotten married and Scott kept, you know, bugging me, says, when are you going to, like, you know, uh, propose to Tammy? And I'm like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. But I knew what I wanted to do. And so I went and um, I bought a ring, uh, an engagement ring, and I went to Service Merchandise. I don't know if you guys oh, remember yeah. Service. But, but I went in there because they had uh, financing and um, they had a decent reputation for rings and stuff. So I went and bought this ring on my own. And I didn't know the difference in cuts of diamonds inside. I didn't know any of that stuff. And um, so I get this ring, you know, and I propose to my wife, uh, to Tammy. And um, and then um, Scott, you know, Scott and Kathy had come over to our apartment and uh, later on. And so they showed, you know, of course, you know, Tammy showing Kathy the ring. And then Scott, he got mad at me. He goes, you asshole. He goes, I told you I wanted to go with you to go ring shopping. And he says, now you bought a bigger ring than what, what Kathy has. Now I'm going to have to go out and buy her a new ring. I go, well, you shouldn't have been such a tight one, you know, but uh, it was, it was really cool. And, um, you know, and Scott was very encouraging, you know, uh, for Tammy and, and I, and, and, uh, um, you know, and then, you know, then, then Ashley coming along, um, you know, that's been the most amazing thing. And my daughter, you know, Ashley, oh, she's just the greatest thing in my life that I could ever have. And, and, uh, you know, I spent, um, uh, went down to, she lives in Austin, Texas now. And I went down there, um, over the weekend, my friend Bruce Reed from Australia is over here with me. Um, we, um, uh, went down to, to Austin and got to hang out with Ashley O and her boyfriend Lake. And then we, um, you know, went down to San Antonio, did some stuff down there, you know, Riverwalk and saw the Alamo. It was a little warm, but it was a good time. And, and I just love spending time with Ashley. And she is absolutely my biggest supporter, um, you know, motivator, everything. I mean, the car runs good. She's, they're cheering us on. If we're struggling, she's still there cheering us on no matter what. And, and it was, it was a really a cool time. And, you know, and Ashley, uh, uh, absolutely, you know, grew up around the sport. I, I told people like the first race that she ever went to was in 1995 at Dallas. And she was probably five months old at that time. Um, and, um, we won the race and the, and the top fuel championship that weekend with Scott in one weekend, I go, well, we can't do any better than this for her after. <laughs> right. So I told her, I said, your first race out, you, uh, you were there for everything. So that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. But yeah, having the family thing was a big thing, you know, and, and, um, 
you know, after um, uh, Tammy passed away, um, you know, I've got this 18 year old daughter that, um, you know, I'm like, what do I do? Like, you know, she just graduated from high school and I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with her? But everybody at Coletta is, was awesome. They were like, you know, Rachel Delago, she's like, how about we have Ashley be in charge of all the social media? And um, I'm like, uh, okay. And I said, but she's never really done that. Yeah, but she's 18. She knows how to do all this stuff. And she jumped right in and, and did a great job. So the support from everybody there within in the organization was, was amazing. Um, and it helped me and Ashley, you know, uh, uh, get through the, the passing of, of Tammy. And um, because if it would have been one of those deals where, you know, I didn't have racing or she wasn't able to come with me and do all the things that uh, she did, um, it, it would have made it a lot tougher. So being out there with our racing family was, was huge for both of us. Absolutely. Talk to me about, about this. Jason Logan and I both have copies of this. And um, this actually, your book, Top Fuel for Life, actually sits in my nightstand next to my bed, honestly. It's the only book that's in the nightstand. So uh, what what inspired you to write a book? Like, what was the first moment where you thought to yourself, I need to write about my life? It, well, you know, it was other people telling me I should and and uh um had some friends of mine Brian Marshall and, and Scott Garwood and and uh, they came to Michigan it's after the season was over in 2013 and and uh I always liked talking about uh Tammy and the things that she kind of went through uh, especially when she got uh cancer and um you know and I would like say things and that one day they're just like you ever thought about writing a book i'm like no and uh they're like well we think you should like we think there you have a lot there that you know maybe you can help people and i i said i have no no idea i don't know anything about writing a book um i didn't do very well in school you know i was just there to take up space and then eventually they told me to leave they didn't want to see me <laughs> but um you know I said I don't know anything about writing a book I go do you guys know anything about writing a book they're like no but we might know somebody who can help us so um so anyway we it all kind of came around and this lady said she would help us with this book and and I'm like at first I'm like man I don't know that I want to you know do anything like that um because I really don't know what I'm doing. But fortunately for me, I, I got hooked up with a, uh, a lady named uh, uh, Michelle Kelly. She was my ghostwriter. And I didn't know ghostwriters existed. Um, but she was a fantastic lady. And um, she listened. I did all these audio tapes of um, kind of being interviewed and asked questions and whatever. And she put all this stuff together and like created a, a, a timeline and a story arc. And so we started working together on this book and she was pretty impressed with the fact that I like, she would send me like a chapter 
and I would go through it and I might change some things and this and that. And she's like, it's pretty impressive that you do this because most people that have ghost riders, they let the ghost riders do everything and they don't, um, they don't make sure everything is right. And the one thing I wanted to do with that book is I wanted to try to be as correct as I possibly could. And, um, you know, whether it was stuff early in, early in my life as a kid or uh, late in life with racing. And, you know, so I would like text my friends like, hey, did, is this, did we do this back in, you know, 1989 or did we do, you know, just stuff like that, just to make sure that I didn't put something out there and people read it and go, well, that's a bunch of BS. Um, you know, so I tried to be as correct about everything as I could because I didn't want to like, exaggerate on things or lie about things or or be wrong about something um and and that was the biggest part for me and when um the book was done and we the first copy of the book got sent to my house uh, back in michigan and ashley o came in and um she saw the book sitting there she goes is that your new book and i said yeah it is and i hadn't even looked at it yet and um, she goes, you mind if I read it? And I said, oh, absolutely. You're more than welcome. I'd love for you to read it. Now, kind of a little backstory with Ashley O and, and, my, and Tammy. They were fanatics about proper punctuation, spelling, all this stuff. Me, not so much. Uh, and they would let me know about it. We'd go to restaurants. They, it was a game for them to find typos and menus and things like that. So, um, so one of the things I stress to, um, to everybody, and we had like two, I think two or three editors on this book, one that was for sure for the book. And then my ghostwriter, Michelle, her uh, husband, Roderick, he was a sports editor for one of the newspapers in Chicago. And then there was another uh, editor that was involved. So I said, this book has, cannot have typos or misspellings or anything otherwise I will hear about it from Ashley. O. <laughs> so Ashley o, like takes this book. So it gets later. I go to bed, go to sleep. I wake up in the morning and the book is back on the kitchen Island. And so I asked Ashley, I said, uh, when she got up that morning, I said, Hey, do you have a chance to look over this book? She goes, yeah, I read it all last night. And I go, really? And I, so I go, well, what do you think? And she goes, well, I thought it was really good. And I'm like, well, no. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> Is there any typos or, or like, you know, punctuation wrong or whatever? She's like, everything was really good. Uh, except there should be, um, there's a couple spots where it needed an Oxford comma. And I'm like, <laughs> what the hell is an Oxford comma? Never heard of it. Right. And um, so I go, what is that? And so she tells me, she goes, you know, it's like, you know, for breakfast, I'm going to have a, a, uh, I'm going to have eggs, comma, toast, comma, and orange juice. She goes, you did like um, eggs, comma, toast, and orange juice. So it kind of makes it like toast and orange juice are one thing. And I go, okay. So anyway, I, I talked to the everybody involved with the book, Michelle and everybody. And so I said, 
I said, uh, they're, they're like, ask me, did you get a chance to look at the book? So well, no, Ashley O read it last night. And their first thing was like, what'd she think? And it was, well, she thought it was really good. No, what, what about the, the, uh, the spelling and the punctuation? And I go, well, she said everything was really good. There was a couple spots that we could have used an Oxford comma. And, and, and a few of them are like, what's an Oxford comma? <laughs> right. And the, the main editor of the book, she goes, she does have a point. And she says the Oxford comma is used more in proper English than what we do over here in America. But yeah, she has a point. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm dying that Oxford commas came up because literally last week, um, Allie Bland, who works at NHRA on the media relations side of things put a thing on instagram last week and it was literally a survey about like oxford commas yes or no and i was like no like because i come from a journalism background (laughs) and at arizona state big time journalism school but they taught us like no oxford comma in like modern day ap style writing for print and web and tv and stuff so i was like no and Allie, who has written a book we've had her on the show and talked about it was like, no, you're wrong. Oxford commas, they have to be yeah. there. Oh, and she loves the show. So she's going to listen to this. And right about now, she's probably falling over laughing. And her husband, Cody's probably like, what are you doing? Like, I can already see where that's going. If she's not watching it live or listening live. But it's oh, yeah. just so funny that it's just so funny that it came up. Yeah. I want to ask you, Jimmo. Oh, uh, go ahead, Jayla. I was just going to say that book was really, really good. And, uh, you know, it read like a love letter to your wife and it was amazing. Well, so, I, and that's what I, what I yeah. wanted to ask about JLo. Cause it, I, I love the start of this and it was going to be the last thing I asked you about here, Jim, because we, we've had you for an hour and we appreciate it. But um, the opening, you know, every book, you know, usually opens some sort of prologue or some sort of forward from somebody else. Um, what connected for me so much with this um, is, is the opening of your book. There's, there's a quote here. Uh, that I think is a, re- a really good quote. Uh, but the opening of your book is a love letter. And it's literally a letter that you wrote to Tammy. Uh, and it had been, you know, two two plus years since she passed. But it, it struck with me, it connected with me so much because I have found, uh, especially in, in, in my adult years of life, you know, post-college and everything, that um, I best deal with grief or tragedy through writing. Um, and I write letters to or or about things. Um, I did it the the most recent one I think of. I, I wrote a very sincere letter, uh, effectively to to Kobe Bryant and the Bryant family, who I didn't know personally, but uh, Jimmo knows this specifically. The, the yeah. Lakers, big part of our family's life. Um, me and my cousins, one of whom works on Doug Gladys Top Full Car, um, the other one who's very successful part of a family business. The third one is married to Thomas Prock. Like we grew up going to Laker games with my uncle uh, and and my dad. And and that was like a thing we did. We, we watched the Lakers on TV Christmas. We Christmas dinner was done in time so we could watch the Laker game or go to the Laker game. Um, and, and Kobe, that was during the years of Kobe and Shaq. And it just played a very big part of our life. And um, you know, Kobe passed away with his daughter. And, and at that time I had like a one-year-old. So I wrote a letter that's what that's how I coped. That was like a very emotional day. And that night, my wife went to work. My son was a year and a half, went to bed. And I just wrote until I couldn't write anymore. Um, I did the same thing when I lost my grandmother. You know, it's been three or four years now. Um, and my grandmother was like one of the most important people, not the most important person in my life. And I 
I just wrote I, after she passed away, I wrote her a letter. And I'm curious what, what that was like for you when you sat down a couple years later to write this book and, and wrote the open. I'm guessing that's one thing that you didn't use a ghostwriter on. You at least wrote wrote that out and maybe oh, had yeah. them clean it up. But that that's yeah. a very intimate, personal thing that you put out there for everybody, what that experience was like. Well, and before you answer that, though, like I was on a plane after I got the book. I lost my wife. I had three boys and I lost her to cancer. And when I read that letter, I was like, oh, my. I was literally before we got off the ground, sobbing my eyes out because you laid it out there and you I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it, it hit a nerve for me. And I was like, oh, my God. This guy has tapped in. He loved this woman with all his heart. You could tell in this right here. Yeah, go ahead. Answer Jason's question because it was it was moving to me, and it, it made that book super special. Yeah, you know, and then um, uh, to be honest with you, um, the idea came from um, when we lost Scott, and um, before the. Um, uh, end of the uh, 2008 season before the banquet, they uh, wanted to do this video, like, you know, honoring Scott. And um, we, uh, my brother and I, we kind of collaborated on a, on a letter to Scott. And um, so we, we did this and, you know, with filming, we each read our part, you know, of the letter. And, um, you know, it was part of the, the banquet back then, you know, when they did a tribute to Scott. And so when this book came about, um, we were talking about things, you know, how do we open this book? And uh, the letter got brought up, you know, what we did for Scott. And um, I said, maybe it'd be kind of cool to do like something along that lines, you know, to begin the book that I write a letter to her. And, um, and it was, it was really cool, you know, that I was able to do that. It was kind of like almost catching up with her. Like, here's, what's, here's what's been going on and, you know, things like that. And, um, you know, for me, you know, dealing with the loss of her, being able to talk about her and, um, you know, and, and smile and laugh about things. And even when she was sick, cause there were some some funny things that she did, you know, while she was sick and, uh, you know, I wanted to share that with people because, you know, there's, um, I, I feel very fortunate that both, uh, myself and, and my daughter, especially my daughter has really come through all this in a, in a, in an amazing way. And, and my daughter, you know, every now and then her, her birthday falls on mother's day because she was actually born on mother's day, uh, May 14th, 1995. So she has them those moments, those tough moments, and each year it gets a little bit better and better. And and I tell her all the time, I said, there's a lot of people that are very happy that you were born. Um, you know, it's one of the things going down there this past weekend. Yesterday was uh, was Tammy's birthday, and so we like you know part of our deal. We went out and had some dinner and had some um, you know dessert for for Tammy and stuff. And it was a fun you know it's a it's a fun time and we, we tend to, um, and Ashley's really gotten a lot better, um, over talking about her mom, you know, some of the funny things that she did. Cause initially, you know, she's an 18 year old kid that, you know, lost her mom. And, um, 
you know, and that's not good. I can't imagine, you know, anything, you know, like that for, for a child. Um, but, uh, I think talking about her really made things, you know, so much better. And, um, over the years, you know, she's, uh, gotten a lot better about it, but I, I like to talk about Tammy. Like, so some people come up and say, Oh, I'm really sorry. Bringing up your wife. No, don't be sorry. I, I enjoy talking about her. And if, if there's something that I can do or say uh, to help people that are in a similar situation, that's what I like to do. And uh, I remember when the book first came out, um, a lady brought her, her friend out who had just lost her husband um, about a month prior to the race. And she had bought this book for her friend and um, she had read the book and she never been to a drag race before but she wanted to come out and meet me and tell me how much the book meant to her. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing to have an impact like that on people. And I, and I always thought like if the book can help one person um, deal with something uh, that I, that I, then it's done its job. And um, you know, I was pretty, pretty happy with a lot of the, the positive feedback that I received with that book. There's some people, of course, are like, man, how come there's no tuning tips on tuning the top field or anything like that? And so they kind of missed the point of what the book was about. But um, the majority of people, they, they really, really enjoyed the book. And, uh, and it was, um, it was neat, you know, and there's it, it kind of a, a funny thing afterwards is um, a ghostwriter, Michelle, she's just, she is an awesome lady, just an Italian lady. Um, I remember when she first started writing the book, she told me she's never cursed in her life. And, um, and she's I Italian. Said, yeah. And I said, well, it's going to be my mission to get you to curse. I couldn't do it. And um, she, I said, well, okay, well, you're not going to be saying curse words. You're going to be writing them. She's like, well, that's a little different. And uh, when, when she did the book and she would put like um, stuff that really there should have been a curse word in there. I said, nobody's going to believe this is me. if We're not using a curse word here and there. And, uh, but just the greatest lady, but she um, she's contacted me and um, she's actually uh, there's a, some interest on wanting to do a movie about this book. And, um, and I'm like, Okay, that's kind of kind of wild, but uh, she said there's been um, uh, uh, she had a, um, a big time, not a big time like Hollywood producer type or anything like that, but a guy that was involved in producing and directing, um, you know, TV shows and some movies. And he says, I could see this book becoming a movie. So she shared that with me. And um, so she's kind of working on doing some stuff, whatever you would do, you know, to make that happen. And, you know, asked me if I was okay with it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I said, that would be, that would be really cool if it can happen. I, I'm not holding my breath, but, um, you know, there is a, a, I guess a shortage of, of movies now that we have all these streaming services or whatever, and they're just, you know, dying for anything to, you know, Put something out there i mean it's it's not going to be uh out on the big screen and imax or anything like that but it, you never know i mean it hey, could can, be jason and I, can you work out your deal and make jason and i be involved in this movie like we can be on screen or something that's, oh, that's yeah. what I care about. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that would be great. <laughs> we have to be involved at some point. This is my agent, Jason Logan, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to Listen, you. man, Jason, hey, no, we, but we, we got to turn this thing into some money maker. I guess, whether it's right? Five bucks yeah, or a thousand bucks. We got to yeah. make some money on this thing. Yeah, yeah. we do. Yeah, uh, no, but that's cool. That, but I guess that from for you as somebody who sat down and wrote a book, like you didn't write a book to to get rich, like or to be a world famous author, like I. You wrote a book because it was a, a therapeutic thing. And like you said, if, if it could help some other people deal with the situation that you had to deal with that nobody should have to deal with, having a, a teenage daughter and, you know, losing your wife and, and, and her mom, then it could, you know, then then you've done your job, right? You know, that's that makes it worth this and, and in between it's therapy for you. So that, that's got to be, that's got to make you feel good, I guess, that there are people out there beyond the people, you know, you talked about the lady who came and met you at the races and, you know, I'd never been to a race or whatnot, but there, there are people out there, business people in the real world who have read this and thought, okay, this is making an impact on people. Yeah. I, um, you, you know, when I did the book originally, I, you know, of course didn't, don't really care about, didn't want to make any money uh, with it. And what I did is I started a, um, uh, what they call a donor advised fund, five oh it's, it's a, uh, because I thought about a 501c3, but I couldn't really pin down what Tammy would want the mission to be about. And But I knew she liked so many things. And um, so um, uh, one of my financial guys that I deal with, um, he suggested this donor-advised fund. And basically, it's just like donating to a 501c3. And um, so we started the Tammy O Foundation and people could donate to this. And um, basically what it does then, it goes into like, we'll just call it like a mutual fund. So it, um, the money could grow, um, you know, based on, you know, how well the mutual fund does. But then you have to get like um, a list of approved 501c3 charities. So, I send them in, so like you know, Doug Herbert's breaks or or um, uh, the uh, the Blaine Johnson Foundation, you know, um, any of that stuff. Um, uh, we did a Drag Racing Association of Women. We did um, Pandas International. Uh, we did. I can't even remember all these ones that we did, and um, they were all approved, and um, so then I could disperse the money to those foundations so i always try to you know try to do that um because i think these are i'm like these are things that that you know tammy o would approve of you know she loved pandas um she absolutely loved what doug herbert was doing with breaks um so it was really cool you know to be able to do something that way so i didn't tie myself down to trying to figure out a mission that that tammy would like so it was an easy way for me to do stuff like that so every mile of money that i i make you know, with, with the book, which, you know, it's still out there and it still, you know, sells a little bit, but it all goes into the, into the Tamio foundation. And, and, um, you know, I, I've given a lot of books away, you know, I go and do, uh, you know, some things, you know, maybe that somebody, um, might ask, Hey, can you, you know, bring 20 books for our employees and, and I'll do that and just give them to them, you know? So for me, it's not about, definitely not about making money with a book. It's more about um, getting that book out there to people that, you know, maybe it might make a difference for them, you know, down, you know, down the road or, 
if they're dealing with something, you know, personal in life, you know, uh, you know, loss of a loved one or something like that. So, uh, but I definitely enjoyed it. It was, you know, like you said, Jason, it was, it was therapeutic. Um, I enjoyed writing. It kind of allowed me to, you know, relive some things that were cool in my life or maybe some things that, that weren't so cool. And um, it was good, you know, and, and uh, some people have asked me like, oh, you ought to do another book. I'm like, I don't know what I'd write about, you know, but I'm sure there's a top, a, top fuel uh, tuning uh, advice, Jimmo. There you go. Like you can, yeah. All the people well, who are upset. I, I, earlier in the year, nobody would have wanted to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but look at you now. Look at you now. It's all yeah, awesome. exactly. One of the best cars in classes over the last five races. All right. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. I'm, I want to, I want to let you go. We've, you know, we try to keep these around an hour, but I couldn't help myself. Um, I, I was thinking about a Jimmo Top Fuel for Life movie, and I'm trying to cast this. And like, who who plays Jim Oberhofer? Because I think I have the the absolute mm. perfect person. Like, it hit me right away, no question. But I'm okay. curious. Let's see who plays it. Jim Oberhofer. <laughs> well, it's funny. We we kind of we, we've joked about that, and um, you know. I, I've said that, um, you know, uh, I thought about, well, like it should be like um, uh, Chris Hemsworth that plays Thor or, or The Rock, right? And there you go. like, no way. That's, there, and so everybody's going, no, we think Will Ferrell should play you. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> who do you think, Jason? Come on. Give us your, who do you think it is? That's Jason's um, frozen. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you, let's hear you first, Jayla. What do you got? Oh, am I frozen? Am I back? No, you're back. Uh, you know, uh, he's not, okay. he's not as tall as Jimmo, but I, I was like maybe a Paul Giamatti, maybe, uh, maybe a Ray Liotta, a young Ray Liotta gets in there. Yeah, I like that. What do you think? What do you think, Jason? Josh Brolin. Oh, that's like, a no question, one. dude. Look yeah, at that. I like that. That is that, that is Jim Oberhofer. Like, come on, come on. It was Josh Brolin all the way. We were talking about okay, well, who would play Tammy? And I said, well, I, I think uh, I think uh, Gail Gadot should play Tammy. And then if she does play Tammy, then I'm going to play myself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, Nicole, thanks, thanks. We know Ray Liotta's dead, but you know, yes. come on. <laughs> Uh, this is, hey, by the way, this is what happens, Jimbo. When you, when you, oh, somebody's going to go back and fact check you. Nicole Erickson, she just fact checked. Yes, me. yeah, really, it is dead. Yes, that is true. I'm telling you, Josh Brolin. Like, I think that's perfect. I think Josh he, he sounds, he sounds Thanos. like Jimmo. He looks like Jimmo. Like, yeah, like Thanos. But then, like, I was thinking, like, um, only the Brave, like the Yarnell Fire movie, which I don't know a lot of people it did terrible in theaters. It was a great movie. I lived oh, in Phoenix when that happened, so. I, I just thought of him right away, like Josh Brolin was the fire captain in that movie, and I thought of like his look in that movie is totally Jimmo. He's he's gonna have to put on a, a oh, couple of pounds in one? the belly area. This is good. Jeff Bridges is good. The Jeff dude? Bridges is good. Yes, that's a good one right there. Right. What about yeah, Josh Brolin in No Country for Old Men? Oh, what an unbelievable. Right. Movie. See, dude, I'm telling that's, you. Oh, I'm yeah, telling that's you. just good. I never thought of that. Will Ferrell be Jono. Yeah, Look, Will Ferrell could be Jono. <laughs> that would be funny. That would yeah, be Will Ferrell's Jono would be great. I'm like, I'm like, man, as long as I don't look like Ricky Bobby running around on the track with my underwear. <laughs> I'm on fire! I'm on fire! 
baby Jesus. Oh That's man. Awesome. That could be fun. We could do a whole episode casting the Jim O movie. Oh my god. Uh, hey, let's write the script. Let's be write here for an hour. And then we'll read the script and we'll do the whole thing. We'll perform it right here. On yeah, you, you guys will have to go through it and wow, well, we don't want to do this. We gotta do this instead. Yeah. See, look, Michael <laughs> Shannon, Nikki Erickson. Like Michael Shannon, there's another great one. Like Michael Shannon yep. looks like Jim. See, this oh, is good. Yeah. Dude, we've got we're gonna have like a whole casting. What do I need? It's what is it? CSA or whatever? What are the casting people they always have in the back of their names? Yep. I need to join whatever that is and be in charge of this. This would be good. Let's we'll produce everything. <laughs> All right, we'll perfect. I'm in. I'm Jimmo, in. are you excited for Topeka? I am. I, I really am. I, I've always loved that track. Um, you know, with with Scott, we won there six times with Scott, and um, it was cool. Like uh, uh, Dave Grubnick won his first race there with us at Coletta's and. Hillary will and Dougie's won, you know, there multiple times. And, and, um, it always seems like we always had a good time at Topeka, you know, winning the race and, and, um, you know, some first time winners there. And, and, uh, it was just, uh, just a cool place. And I always enjoyed racing there. So I'm looking forward to getting up there and, you know, just like Denver, I always love racing in Denver and I'm, you know, um, wanted to win that race for sure this year. And, and then now knowing that Topeka is, you know, this is their last race, it'd be kind of special, you know, to win, you know, win that race with Clay as well. Cause I know that race is uh, another place that he's won at before. And, um, you know, so that would be cool. I've got a lot of great memories of Topeka. Um, you know, I remember when we ran with Scott's car, we ran 308 miles an hour back there in 1993 at the second Topeka race. And, that was like five miles an hour faster than anybody had gone at that time. And that was just like so cool. And, um, you know, that was the first race we won that year, national event with Scott's car. And that propelled us to next year where, you know, with Dick LaHaye steering the ship for us, we just did better and better and better. And it was, it was fun. And um, I remember when Grubby won that race, well, oh man, that was his first win. And boy, we had some fun that night, you know, with him and uh, just a, it's a great place to race and, and hopefully, hopefully win at. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just going to throw this out there. I haven't looked at the weather forecast yet, but um, I have the weather in Chicago being pretty warm. And I know for a fact it was pretty warm in Denver and it looks like it's going to be pretty warm in Topeka. So um, it, if I draw Clay Milliken in the Sunday morning pool, I'm, I'm not going to feel too bad about myself as Alan Reinhardt would say. So. Yeah, I, I feel a lot better about my hot track tune-up than my cold track tune-up, which is very <laughs> odd. Because um, forever, I was like, you know, I remember when, the, you know, working for Connie and we'd have a 70, 75 degree track. It was like Connie was frothing at the mouth and then we're all frothing. And, oh, man, we're going to get after this thing. And, and um, you know, my, my greed got the best of me earlier in the year, just being too aggressive, trying to run 60s all the time. But, you know, we've we've managed to hit on a pretty nice hot track setup where we can run really well. And, um, you know, and, and it was like uh, driving into Sonoma uh, Sunday morning, uh, Bruce Reed and I, and there's that that marine layer there. And I'm like, and we're starting at 1030. And I, I look at Bruce, I go, I wish this marine layer wasn't here. And um, he's like, yep. And um I kept waiting and waiting and then, and then the track, you know, 
was only 105 degrees and you know we had to run grubby who's who's the king of just throwing out these great numbers and um i'm just like man if we give him you know if that racetrack's good i said he's gonna run probably i, I thought he'd run between a, a 68 and a 70 and he, he ended up running a 70 um but i i knew that we're not there yet on those on those cold tracks to where we can go throw down like that. I have ideas that we could have done, but it got me in trouble earlier in the year, and I need to learn how to finesse that a little better. But um, I was like, "Damn it! I wish we were. I wish this track was 125 degrees, and I I would feel a lot better about our chances first round." So when Grubby ran out, ran 370 with Brittany's car, I was like, "Well, that doesn't surprise me one bit uh, that he did that." And then, uh, and Clay, you know, we, we ran 378, 300. He shot it off early. He might have run 375 if he'd run all the way through, he said. But, you know, Clay, that's what's cool about Clay. He saw her out in front there and felt like, all right, I don't want to tear anything up when he, you know, gets out of the throttle. But, um, but sooner or later, we got to get that cold track tune-up set up because it's coming. And, uh, you know, we need to be able to be ready for it. Well, uh, you don't have to worry about it this weekend. Not this weekend. If it's going exactly. to be 93 on Sunday, you're going to get your 125 track temp. You might get more. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> Jimbo, thank you so much. We've kept you uh, longer than I told you we would, but thank you. Oh, no, this is great, guys. I, I really appreciate you guys thinking of me and having me on here. And Jason, Jason Logan, I don't ever get to see him much anymore. It's like they don't put that DJ stage close to the Bro, uh, and I'm, I'm start like, line anymore. Yeah, and I'm like attached to it, so I can't get up and off of that stupid thing to say, "Hey guys, what's up?" Uh, yeah, yeah. it sucks. I'm, I'm stuck there. Yeah, no, it's a good deal, man. I appreciate it, you guys. Well, good deal. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jimmo. Jimbo. Jim Oberhofer, everybody, give him some love. There he is. Say goodbye, Jim Oberhofer. He's out. Yeah, we kept him a little longer, but why not? Yeah, we did. We did. Listen, man, he's a he's a good time. We like him. Love him. That book. Drag that book he's got has great drag yes. racing stories in it. It's amazing. Top Fuel for Life. Uh, I looked it up. Available uh, online at at most of your favorite retailers and in stock right now on Amazon. So if you have Prime, like that, you could have it by Topeka. That book, and then you know, I was like, oh, that's cool. So I got a little more insight into the whole Kalita world. The Right on Track movie. You know, okay, cool. Now I know about the Eric Anders. We need more uh, movies and books uh, about drag racing people, so I can. Uh, I can catch up, and I just don't have to look like a big old dumb idiot when I woke up. Hi, man. How fast that car go? Oh, so, yeah, that's what happens with me go. sometimes. Yeah. You know. All right, J-Lo, let's get out of here. I'll see you on a Thursday in Topeka. Thursday let's, in Topeka. Uh, call me when you get in. Let's get some barbecue. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you guys very much. There it is. We're out of here. Thank you so much. Hope everyone enjoyed it. We will see everybody this weekend. Yeah.